The story I wanted to look at this morning is, is perhaps familiar to some, but not to others. It's the story of Moses and the burning bush. Um, I feel this is really a very, really encouraging story because it, it can speak so much about God's love for us and how much God wants to do in our lives. And it continually reminds us that God has chosen us for a mission and, a, and has a purpose for us. Seems to be really booming around here. Huh? Um, if, you, if, you, you know, if you want a verse just to the back of the lap, from Ephesians 2 verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, this is not a random thing. God has a purpose for our lives. And Moses was about to find out. But I, I was aware that probably, <coughs> for some people, Moses might be somebody who's a bit of a stranger. You may, know, you may have heard of him at school, you might not have done. So I thought that it'd be good perhaps to fill in a bit of background behind how Moses came to be at the burning bush. And we'll look at that in a bit. So to set the scene, in Genesis we read that um, the Israelites had gone down into Egypt because of a great famine. And if you remember the story of Joseph, they'd, they'd been reunited. And the Israelites had settled in Egypt. They'd become quite comfortable. It was quite nice, you know, they'd been fed. So why leave? And so we find that the Israelites had actually stayed on. Joseph had died, but they hadn't gone back to Israel. They'd stayed. But then we read in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, Then there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And the problems then start. It would be fine up to that point because obviously it had been handed down about why these people were here. It perhaps had got a little bit of a folklore now about why they come and perhaps one or two people got a bit confused over it. But now there was a king on the throne who didn't know Joseph. He didn't know what these people were here for. And he started to look at them and started to realise they were actually quite a large number. And he thought, well, they haven't actually got an allegiance to Egypt. If these people decide that with our enemy that they'd like to join them instead, add them to the enemy, they could easily wipe us out. So he started to sort of feel threatened. And like most people when they feel threatened, they start to stand back and sort of think, hang about, you know, I'm in a corner here, what am I going to do? And they start to fight. And that's exactly what he did. He said, right, I know what I'll do. I'll turn them into slaves. And so he actually forced them into slavery. And it says, in fact, in, in Exodus 1, how that was a really hard state slavery. It wasn't just, okay, well, we're we're making them subservient to us, but he actually started to really put pressure on them. And still he feared them, because unfortunately for him, still they grew. He turned them into slaves, but they, they still grew in number, and they were getting quite large. So he came up with another idea. His next idea was, well, okay, let's wipe out every male child. So as soon as a male child is born, kill it. Make sure it's dead. That way, only girls survive. That way, eventually, they will die out. And therefore, I'll be safe. And it's into this very situation that Moses is born. Moses comes into the situation, a boy, and therefore, in theory, he should be killed. But if you know the story, what happens is his mother hides, uh, hides him, looks after him for a while, and eventually, is another uh, well-known story, perhaps for many, she puts him in a, uh, an ark into the bulrushes to protect him and, and hide him. 
And in that situation, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. I mean, it's the greatest irony, isn't it? Pharaoh's the one who's wanted to wipe out all the male children, and it's Pharaoh's daughter who actually finds him. But because it's Pharaoh's daughter that finds him, and she has compassion upon him when he cries, it's into that situation that we then find that she takes hold of the, the, the newborn baby, Moses, and makes him her own. So here again, God's provision, God is providing for his people. Meanwhile, the people are still slaves. The people are still in the problem that they, they are still being oppressed by the Egyptians. And they're crying out to God for some sort of relief. Moses is brought up in the Egyptian household. He now has everything that, he, that anybody could ever want. It would be a bit like um, probably someone sort of, you know, who's, who's perhaps brought up with nothing at all, suddenly being put in, into the royal family and being told, look, you can have anything. You know, if you want a Porsche, go and buy it. Suddenly he has everything he wants. And he starts to grow up in this environment. He gets educated. So he's actually now not just anybody who's just sort of left in, in, in the gutter, as it were, or just in the, the basics as a slave. He now has a full education. And he's brought up as a prince. But there comes a day when something happens. And it, Moses is walking out and he sees, again, his people. And something starts to stir in him and says, this is my people, actually. I'm not actually an Egyptian. These are my people. And he sees an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew slave and he intervenes. And his way of intervening is quite dramatic because he actually kills the Egyptian and buries the Egyptian. It says he buries him under the sand, hoping that no one has seen it. But it says that another day he goes out and he sees two Hebrew people fighting and arguing. And he tries to intervene again. And this time, the answer that they give him is, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And suddenly the dawning light for Moses is, hang on, somebody else knows about this. He thought he'd got away with it. He thought he'd just killed somebody. But he hadn't. And as soon as Pharaoh discovers, Pharaoh actually issues that he wants to kill him and execute him for this murder. So Moses now flees for his life. And he, he goes to a place called Midian, and Moses is, is obviously trying very hard to do what he felt was right, but has now put himself in a position where how on earth can he help anybody? And it's interesting because, you know, Moses was the right man to free Israel. Moses was the man God had called. And yet Moses had tried to solve it in his own way. He'd seen one situation, intervened, and ended up now in a position where he couldn't help them at all. Not only that, but the people he was trying to help were actually saying, well, who do you think you are anyway? You know, you're just somebody who, who thinks they're somebody, but don't count as far as we're concerned. It was also, in God's time, not Israel's time to leave. They weren't ready. So God was still preparing them. And it, it struck me that this is often the problem we have as, as Christians, that sometimes, you know, have you ever had that situation where, where you've had a word or some, God has spoken to you in a particularly powerful way about a situation, about something that's in your life and you're thinking, right now what do I need to do? 
How do I get this solved? What do I need to do? And often we're trying to do the solution. And it can sound very plausible, it can sound really good, it can sound like this is the way to go. But we find suddenly it falls flat, it just doesn't work. It just still leaves us in that same situation. Because you see, it's not what God wanted, it wasn't God's way. It was what we thought was a very good way, using some of our intellects, using some of our abilities, but it wasn't what God wanted. And that's exactly what happens there, is that Moses now finds himself, instead of in a princely palace, instead of having everything that he really wanted to, he ends up by a well in, in uh, Midian. And some girls come along. He says seven daughters of a guy called Jethro, who is described as the priest of Midian. And along come some shepherds. And Moses is obviously some sort of fairly tough sort of guy, he feels that you know, he can sort people out if, you, if, they, if it comes to it. Because these shepherds start to try and push these girls out of the way so that they can feed their flocks first. And Moses intervenes again. He doesn't actually kill anybody this time, but he certainly gives them a pretty, the shepherds a pretty hard time. And they decide to uh, come off of it a bit and, and let the girls get their water. <coughs> and he actually helps feed the, the flock. And Jephro is amazed that they get back so quick because he sort of thinks, hang on, what's happened? How did you get back? You know, have you watered the whole flock already? And they t- tell him that this Egyptian helped them. And he doesn't really go into very much more detail um, about, about it. All it says is Jephro gave one of his daughters to Moses and she became his wife and her name was Zipporah. And then that's where Moses stays. Because he's married to Zipporah, he just stays there. And in fact, it says he becomes the shepherd looking after Jephro's sheep. So he's gone from being in a palace, being everything that he wanted, to suddenly just a shepherd. He's now, that's all he is. And that's sometimes the way God deals with us. You know, sometimes we, we feel that this is the way to do it, this is how we can solve it. But sometimes God has to take us to that place where we become like Moses, a shepherd. We just become into that place where we just have to sit and wait. Because God has his time and his preparation to do often in our lives, to get us into those positions. It doesn't mean that we're not going to fulfil what God wanted, because, as I said, God has a, a purpose for each one of us. God does not call us as Christians just to be Christians and sit on the shelf. He calls us to be Christians that are in a mission, that have a purpose and an identity. And for each one of us, that will be different. It is unique. Nobody else could do what Moses had to do. Only Moses could do that job. So God had to get Moses ready. So for Moses, it becomes a desert looking after sheep. And and again, how often, I mean, you've probably found it yourself, how often have you been to a really good Christian conference, had really good speakers, or you know, you've had perhaps a word, or you've, you've felt really strongly that God was saying, this is something I want you to get involved in, this is something I want you to do. <clears throat> and it just hasn't worked out. And it's like being in a desert. It's like as if God's taken us to a desert place. Now, this is not the same as putting ourselves into a desert <clears throat> where we perhaps turn our back on what God actually wants, or, you know, we just drift away. That's different. But this is actually where God was sending Moses into the desert. He was going to actually use this experience. For Moses, it lasted 40 years. I mean, hopefully for most of us, if God is preparing us, it's not going to be 40 years. But I think, again, it shows the timescale. 
God is not interested in quick fix solutions. God is not interested in just, oh, I'll, I'll do it at a whim. He's interested in making sure it's done properly, exactly as it should be, <coughs> and at the right time. Because again, he needed Israel to be at the right point. As you read on, on in the story, you'll find that God brings plagues upon Egypt and Israel. And, and I think sometimes people have wondered, well, why did he bring the plagues on both Egypt and Israel? Some are actually only on Egypt, but some are on both. And I'm sure some of that was preparation for Israel to prove to them he was God. Just to get them ready to see that they were dealing with God. They'd lost their direction as well, and they needed to put him back into some sort of direction. And I think that can happen to us sometimes. Again, we can lose our direction so easily. We think everything's going along, or we're just going along this way or that way. But we need to be always wanting and always seeking to go the way God wants us to go. So take encouragement. If you feel at the moment perhaps you're in a slightly desert place, take encouragement. See what God is wanting to do in your life. See what God is wanting to encourage you with. Because God never leaves us. He has promised that. He said he will never leave or forsake us. And therefore he's always working for us. He's always working in our lives in some situation. So if God has spoken a promise into your life, if God has given you in the past some word or, or picture or something, hang on to it. God will fulfil it. It isn't going to be one of those things, it might happen, it will happen. Because that is God's way. Just as he did with Moses. So we find now, this is where Moses has got to. He's got to the point where Moses is looking after the sheep and he's near the mountain of God. He doesn't actually really know that at the moment, but that's where he is. And I found this fantastic way of telling the story. So, here is the story of Moses and the burning bush. Moses was looking after the flock in his father-in-law Jephro, Jephro, the priest of Midian. He he had uh, moved to the far side of the desert and came to Horab, the mountain of God. The angel of God appeared to him in a flaming blaze from the middle of a bush. Here's the bush. Moses looked. There was a bush, a blaze, but it didn't burn up. So Moses said to himself, but you can always join him, I must go across and see this strange sight and why the bush is not being burnt up. When when God saw that he was coming across to look at the bush, God called from the middle of the bush. He said, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here am am I, or I am. God said, come no nearer, take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses covered his face, for he was afraid of God. I have indeed seen the misery of the people in Egypt. Yes, I am aware of their sufferings, and I have come down to to rescue them from the clutches of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land, out of that country to a country flowing with milk and honey to the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites Go gather the elders of Israel together and tell them Yahweh has said I will bring you out of the misery of Egypt to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. 
They will listen to your words. And you and the elders of Israel are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Please allow us to, to make a three-day journey into the desert and sacrifice to Yahweh our God. I shall ensure that the Egyptians are so impressed with this people that, that when you go, they will, they will not go empty-handed. Every woman will ask her neighbour for silver and gold jewellery and clothing. In these you will, be dressed, you will dress your sons and daughters, despoiling the Egyptians of them. But suppose they will not believe me, or listen to my words, and say to me, Yahweh has not appeared to you. What is that in your hand, says God? A staff, says Moses. Throw it on the ground, says God. So he throws it on the ground. And it turns into a snake. And Moses was frightened. Reach out your hand and catch it by the tail, says God. <coughs> he reached out his hand and caught it. And the snake turns back into a staff. Then God says, put your hand inside your tunic. He put his hand inside his tunic. And when he pulled it out, it was diseased, it was leprous, white as snow. Then God says, put your hand back in your tunic. So he put his hand back in his tunic, and when he pulled it out, it had been restored, just like the, the rest of his flesh. Should they not believe you, nor be convinced by the first sign, the second sign will convince them, says God. But should they not be convinced by either of these two signs and refuse to listen to what you say, you are to draw some water from the river and pour it on the ground, and the water you have taken from the river will turn to blood on dry ground. Please, my Lord, I have never been eloquent, for I am slow and hesitant of speech. Who gives man a mouth? Who makes a man dumb or deaf? Gives sight or makes blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I shall help you speak and instruct you what to say. Please, my Lord, send anyone else you choose. There is your brother Aaron the Levite, is there not? I know that he is a good speaker. He will speak to the people in your place. He will be your mouthpiece. Well, it's a slightly different way of using the story. So. If anyone's interested, there's lots of other versions of different Bible stories available as well. Someone's obviously had quite a lot of fun doing some Lego. <coughs> but just, I know, okay, that's a bit of fun just the way we look at the story. But there are so many points in there, so many things in there about God's love for us, about God's care for us, and about the way in which God calls us. Because for Moses to, to actually fulfil the purpose that God had laid upon his life, he had to have an encounter with God. It wasn't just going to be any encounter, it had to be a personal encounter with God. And that's exactly the same that happens with us when we become Christians. We encounter the grace of God. When we, when we understand what Jesus has actually done for us. 
And if you're somebody here this morning who perhaps is saying, well actually I don't really understand all this, that same encounter is available to you. Because God says it's free. And just like Moses had his encounter with the burning bush, so God wants to have an encounter with each one of us. Because it's in Ephesians, if you remember, um, where it says quite clearly, we are saved by grace, through faith, not by works. It's nothing we do, it's all about God. And it's for that very reason that God doesn't call us and leave us. He doesn't call us and say, you know, okay, you become a Christian, tick, that's all right then, put, you know, I'll put you on the train to heaven, as used to be the old songs, you know. It's not about that. God is saying, I've called you for a purpose, and I now want to fulfil that purpose in your life. But, you know, it does beg the question, is that the way we live? Is that the way we believe? Do we actually live in that sort of lifestyle that says, I know God has called me for a purpose? If we're honest, and certainly if I'm honest, I mean, quite often, most days feel fairly mundane, fairly ordinary. You go about life in, you know, work, <laughs> shopping, bed, get up the next morning, you know, same old routine, the way we go again. And you get to Friday and you think, ah, oh, great Friday weekend, free, you know, can do something at the weekend. Oh no, this weekend we've got to do that. Oh, right, okay. And, and then you sort of think, where did the weekend go? And you're back to Monday morning and back to work. Or if you work over the weekend, it's even worse because you're sort of trying to juggle it all around. And you think, what real purpose is in this? But there is a purpose because wherever you are, in whatever situation you are, God has placed you there to be that difference. And this is what Moses was going to find. He was going to find where he was going to be able to make a difference. So God had got Moses' attention. Certainly the burning bush had done it. I mean, he'd probably seen bushes burn before because that, that happens in the desert places. But this one continued. It just kept burning. Which is why it made him go over and have a look at it. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because Moses was a fugitive from Egypt. He was wanted in Egypt, as far as he was concerned. He might have heard that the old pharaoh that had been looking for him was dead, but there again, he might not have done. And even if, even if he knew the old pharaoh that was looking for him was dead, he might still be thinking, well, is his son around? Is he after me now, or is somebody else after me? And yet, that was the very place that God was saying to go back to. He was saying, I want you to go back to Egypt, because I want you to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And then Moses, of course, comes up with his argument. Well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Egypt out? Sorry, the, the Israelites out of Egypt. <laughs> you know, I'm just a shepherd now. Now I've left all that old life behind. God says, no, that's where I want you to go. But his next objection, he starts to come up with, is perhaps from his own memories. If you, you know, he goes back perhaps to that period where, because when he tried to intervene with those two Hebrews who were arguing. And he remembers that they weren't very, very keen on and sort of said to him, well, who do you think you are? And yet they are the very people that God is saying, go back and tell them, I've sent you. And he's thinking, hmm, okay. Last time I tried that one, they sort of said, who do you think you are? And yet you're saying to me, go back. So God intended to send him back to Pharaoh, where he was wanted by the Egyptians, and to his own people, who basically had shunned him and told him to get lost. 
Now for most people that's a fairly off-putting situation to be put into. But you see, that's what God does. God doesn't always put us into the, the more comfortable positions. Sometimes he sends us into those more uncomfortable positions. But the difference is, he doesn't say, oh you go. He's saying, I'm going with you. I'm going to be part of this. This is what I am doing. You're part of what I want you to do. It's a different thing. It's not, oh, I come up with this great idea, I think I'll go back to Egypt. This was God saying, no, this is what I want you to do. Listen to me. But he's still not very convinced. And he's sort of, you can, you can probably see the bubbles in his mind starting to think, now what else can I come up with? Okay, these two are failing, now what other ideas can I come up with? And he started, certainly starting to get to this idea, well, I think you got this one wrong, God, you know, it can't possibly be me. And, you know, this is the same situation sometimes that can happen to us, I think. When, when we feel that God has spoken to us in the past, or we've had a word or a picture, and nothing seems to be happening. I think sometimes you can tend to think, well, that just obviously wasn't right. I just obviously didn't get that one right. And I think that's a situation where it is important that we test pictures and words and things that we feel when God's spoken to us with friends and other people. But if there's that general feeling, yeah, this is right, then hold on to it. Don't let it go. Because God certainly hasn't let it go. He will fulfil what he has promised. So in, in, verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 3, verse 18, God tells Moses that the people will listen and obey him. That's very interesting. God actually tells him there quite clearly, they will listen to you and they will obey you. By the end of the chapter, and just the very first verse of the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, Moses is questioning whether the Israelites will listen to him again. So it just isn't going in, is it? It's going in one ear and out the other, as people used to say. He hasn't got the message yet. He still hasn't got, got it. That God is saying, go. So God says, right, I'll give you a demonstration. And that's obviously the thing with the, the staff. And it turns into the snake. And with the hand, as he put it in his tunic, it becomes all leprous and all nasty and shriveled. And he puts it back and it all becomes pure again. Interestingly, the, the one thing I thought that was interesting was um, how, God, how God told Moses to pick the snake up. I don't know if anyone ever saw any of those programs by that chap Steve Irwin about snakes and things. And he was always on about the fact that the way you pick a snake up is by its tail. And I thought, again, you know, God knows exactly how to pick a snake up because he, he made them. But it's just interesting, isn't it? You know, but that was the way he told Moses to pick it up. But still, Moses is not convinced. You know, he's seen two great signs. I mean... Think about it. You're talking about a wooden stake. Suddenly, you drop it on the ground and it starts to actually sliver away from you. It's become a snake. But it says that Moses was actually frightened of it because he suddenly realised it was a snake. And snakes weren't things that you wanted to get very close to. Secondly, he's put his hand in his thing and he's seen physically his hand has changed. It has become white, it has become deformed, it's become horrible. You've seen both of those things happen. And yet he's still saying to God, no, no, it can't possibly be me. You must have got this wrong. And I think that's often the problem we have sometimes, is that how often have you sort of felt to yourself, well, if only God gave me a sign, 
If only God gave me a, a, a better word or a better picture that was a bit more direct, that actually sort of explained it a bit more, or I had a bit more information about this or that. And would it make any difference? I beg the question that probably it wouldn't. But we'd still be sometimes questioning God and thinking about it. And that's why God never gives it to us. Because he knows that it's not going to make any difference to us. And in this case, he did actually give that, because he was going to use those two signs for Pharaoh and for the people. But I think that's, that's one of the dangers sometimes. We sometimes want more backup. We want more information. We want something a little bit more clearer. And God sometimes says, no, it's not there. Because this whole experience of Moses in, in the desert was about trusting God. It was about learning to become dependent upon God. Not upon his own resources, but upon God's resources. And that's the thing that, that God is always wanting to lead us forward. You know, John 10.10 10 says, I came that you may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Not just a little bit, but the whole of it. That doesn't mean that life's going to be easy at all. What it means is that in there, God is going to be in it. He's going to be directing and leading us forward. So in conclusion, to draw it together, all, all I felt really that the Lord wanted to bring together this morning was that sense of, if you've had dreams, if you've had words from the Lord, if you've had um, things spoken into your life over the, in years gone by, and you're sort of thinking, that hasn't really happened there yet. Hold on to them. Revisit them every so often. By all means, ask God, well, what, what is this about? Is this the time? Is this now? Because God will fulfil what he promised. He can't do anything else. It's not his nature. His nature is to fulfil his word. And he will always do that. And I think that's, that's the fascinating thing about the story of Moses. If you don't know anything more about Moses, then read on. This is up to about chapter 4. But just carry on reading through the book. It's a fascinating story of how God dealt with Moses, how he dealt with the people, it continues to show you God's love and his care for people and different situations. Even when sometimes they went completely the opposite direction, God is still there, pulling them back, drawing them back. And therefore, that's what we can always remember, is, is that it doesn't matter where we start from, it doesn't matter where we are at this moment in time. God has a purpose for our lives. God, in fact, he can do nothing else. He has not saved us just to leave us. He has saved us for a purpose, for a mission. It, you might feel it's only a small part. It doesn't matter. Every part of what God wants to be done, we have a part to play in. It, it, it could, sometimes it will be large, sometimes it will seem small. But to God it doesn't matter. Everybody has a part. Jubilee exists because God has a, a vision for this church. Jubilee exists because God has a mission for this church. And everybody sitting in this room today has a part to play. You know, it doesn't matter what you're doing. Making teas and coffees is a part of being Jubilee. You know, it's, it's all about just being where God wants you to be, doing what God wants you to do.
because God has a purpose for each one of us. And I felt very much when I was preparing this that there is somebody here this morning, um, particularly, who has had, I think, I think probably a dream in the past. Um, and they feel, well, I can't see that ever being fulfilled. And I believe God wants to speak to you this morning particularly and say, I'm still on the case. It's going to happen. That dream you have, you will see. Because I have spoken. You know, God doesn't change. What he did with Moses, he will continue to do. And I think the other thing we need to believe for is, is that the God who can put, get someone to put their hand in, in their cloak and it comes out leprous, and put it back and it comes out pure, is the God we serve. He is not a God who, who can only just do small things now and again. He is a mighty God, which is, which is what the whole of Exodus starts to demonstrate. And that same God is the God we worship. So, let's pray that you just take encouragement from that.